0: Well, recently a letter was found in the pages of a book. The letter was 75 years old. And it was sold at an auction, because who is written by, for $3,000. It's a very simple letter. It was a correspondence between friends. One friend had asked how everything was going, and here this other friend had responded back. Everything was going well. And this person that wrote back said, I don't mean by everything going well that I have joy. What I mean by everything going well is that it means I have security, or at least an illusion of security. And then this person goes on in the letter and says, Real joy, it just seems unlike security. Joy, it jumps under one's ribs and tickles down one's back and makes one forget meals and keeps one delighted, sleepless at night. Joy shocks one awake when security puts one asleep. In my view, one second of joy is worth 12 hours of pleasure. Well, quite a A profound thing to say in a letter to a friend to pontificate about joy. Fitting that the letter was written by C.S. Lewis shortly before writing an amazing book called Surprised by Joy. It must have been on his mind to write it to his friend at that time. But Lewis hits on an important distinction This word that sometimes is nebulous and just out there. What exactly is joy? Is it a feeling? Is it happiness? Is it a nice word that we throw around at Christmas time? Joy seemed to be an elusive word that evaded the people in Israel, especially in the book of Jeremiah. But today... Today, we see a community marked by joy. It's a good question for us today. What are the markings of joy? What would it look like if we were marked by joy? Well, today we're going to look at four markings of joy as they are shown in Jeremiah chapter 31. Maybe it will challenge us. Are we marked by joy? And if we're not, how can we be? Let's look. Jeremiah chapter 31. I'm going to be looking at some verses that might not be printed in your worship guide. So if you have a Bible, you can open that up. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole passage right now. I'll read um, more of the passages I go on um, In the sermon. So let me start. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 3. You have verses 1 through 2, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. The word of the Lord. Well, if you think about a book that, talks about joy, you do not think of the book of Jeremiah. <laughs> I mean, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, not a book that you would say, uh, yeah, the weeping prophet, joy. And if you think about the people that Jeremiah is writing to, the people of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, you would not say that they are a people marked by joy. They've been brought to exile, to Babylon. They have had the loss of children and loved ones in battle. They have suffered a lot. These are not a people that have coordinated wood signs in their house with faux wood. Is that what we do nowadays? That say hope, joy, peace, and love, right? Is that what people put in their houses nowadays at Christmas time? In faux wood's in nowadays, right? Is that what it is? All these wood things and you paint it and put those, those letters on it. That's Christmas time, right? Hope, and joy, and peace, and love. What? Those themes for Jeremiah? Well, David and I have been talking about this and laughing about it back and forth that actually, the Advent themes are very vivid in Jeremiah. The theme of hope, and joy, and peace, and love. These chapters Chapters 30 through 33 are known as the book of consolation or the book of comfort. And really every chapter hits on one of these Advent themes. Last week we looked at the theme of hope. Today we're going to look at the theme of joy. And you see what happens is that Jeremiah is looking over the horizon He's probably been jailed by King Zedekiah at this time. He's writing this book. And he's looking in hope what will happen to these people that are going to be brought into exile by this other kingdom, Babylon. And he looks over the, the horizon and he sees these people that will come back in 70 years, they're going to be transformed. And they're going to be marked by joy through this transformation. You know, they've experienced suffering and loss and captivity. But this joy doesn't seem to be found just in their circumstances or what's around them. But it seems like something has changed in them, no matter the circumstance that's around them. They have this joy. Look at me, it's just verse 2. It just kind of points this out. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. It's fitting that word wilderness. uh, I wouldn't call Babylon the wilderness. Jeremiah is probably referring back to another time in the past where the Israelites were coming from Egypt into the land and spent time in the wilderness before coming into the land. And what he says, he says that even in the wilderness, even with the sword, even in their wilderness time in Babylon, there is grace found in that place. I love the Psalms. He talks about this. He says, so he brought his people out with joy. His chosen ones with singing and he gave them the lands of the nations and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil. He brought these people out of the wilderness and they came out with joy. It begs the question, where can joy be found in war, in exile, in suffering? Will the Thing is answered right here in verse 3. The Lord appeared to him from afar away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. You see, the starting point for joy is the unconditional love in pursuit by God. Despite the circumstances, despite the war, despite all that they have experienced, they are starting to see, this is true. Our God loves with us with an unfailing love, an unconditional love. I went to camp in southern Missouri, and uh, this camp uh, was known for having these really good athletes, these D1 athletes. And it was a sports camp. And I was kind of a jock growing up, so uh, what mattered to me was winning. And, but I started to notice something at this camp that these, you know, great athletes, amazing athletes, they cheered the people in last place. These counselors, they got so excited about a kid that was in last place finishing the race. Now, hear me. This wasn't everyone gets a participation trophy kind of thing. It's not that kind of thing. There were still awards for the winners, right? But I started to see something happen in these kids that finished last. It started to transform them over the time of camp. They started to smile more and laugh more and enjoy more. You see, the unconditional love by these amazing athletes started to bring joy into their lives. See, this is the main point that kind of covers all of chapter 31. That joy starts with the unconditional love of God. And then he uses illustrations throughout this chapter as God as the bridegroom that loves his unfaithful bride no matter what. God as father whose arms are open wide to a rebellious son. God as father to a daughter that has lost her own children who comes and mourns with her. God as shepherd who comes to the lost sheep. I wonder if you'll allow this passage. You'll allow God to work in you in this season of Advent To know that there is a God that is after you with his unconditional love. That he is faithful. And maybe in seeing that, that might be the first steps to start warming something in your heart. To allow joy to do a work in you. And then maybe the first signs will be this that you'll see that joy comes in unexpected places. Let's look together, shall we again? Verses 6 through 9. Verse 6 is not there for you, but you'll see verses 7 through 9. I'll read verse 6 and then you can follow along in verse 7 through 9. <clears throat> oh, actually, I'll start with just verse 7. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob. And raise shouts for the chief of the nations, proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor together. A great company, they shall return here. With weeping, they shall come. And with pleas for mercy, I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. You see, joy starts in unexpected places. The Lord says, Jacob is the chief of nations. That's crazy talk. (laughs) I mean, Jacob, which is... uh, Mocker for Israel and Judah, they have been the whipping boy for all the nations. Egypt and Edom and Babylon and Assyria, they have just been destroyed by the nations. But then God says, No, you will be the chief of the nations. And then he starts talking about what will be gathered from the north. You see, whenever you read Jeremiah, constantly Jeremiah talks about this destruction that will be poured out from the north, this nation of Babylon that will take them over. Now he talks about something else coming from the north, not this mighty army of Babylon that will pour destruction. Instead, what comes to the north is this, the weak, the lame, ones in labor. Forever, Judah has been on guard against the nation from the north. But now God is saying, I am going to show you something new and different. That I will gather to you the weak and the lame, and that's what will create you a great nation. And you see weeping. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas of mercy I will lead them back. This is not the weeping of false repentance we saw before in chapter 30. Now we see a people that are broken, that are moldable. That are coming back from exile, from Babylon, back to Jerusalem. And the Lord shows them just small things. I'll bring them by brooks of water, I will make their paths straight. And what does he say? For I am a father to Israel, and to Ephraim is my firstborn. Ephraim was not the firstborn. Ephraim was a tribe that had major problems and issues, the northern tribe. And he is now saying, I will even bless this wicked tribe. So they will be like the firstborn. They will be blessed. Out of unexpected places, God will bring joy. See, something has switched in the people Something has switched, so they start to see the provisions of God and what He is doing in them. In his book, Surprised by Joy, Lewis says this, Joy, the sharp, wonderful stab of longing. It's deft. It produces longing that weighs heavy on the heart, but it it does so with precision and coordination. It dashes in with the agility of a hummingbird, claiming its nectar from the flower, and then it zips away. It pricks, then vanishes, leaving a wake of mystery and longing behind it. I had a very stubborn time in my life. Probably still have stubborn times in my life. This was a very stubborn time of my life. Uh, I was traveling on the metro. It's basically the subway in Washington, D.C. while in college and um, working a job on Capitol Hill. and I, It was a hard time. There was some friend pressure. There were things in my life that were Not good. Um, I just did not like being around all the bustle of people and being cramped in the metro. It just was just not a good time to travel back and forth. Something happened in that time. God really got a hold of me and started to mold me and shape me. And my trips on the subway became very different. I I remember seeing a mother with her arm around her son. The smell of the vendors when coming off the subway. The cheesy Christmas music that played on the metro or the metro person saying have a merry christmas. And I remember out of these unexpected things, these things that happened all the time when I rode the Metro before, I started to cry. <laughs> these things just made me cry by observing them. My circumstances had not changed Pressure from friends were still there. I still struggled. All these things were still around me. But I started to see God break through in showing me the beauty of his creation. You don't want to know the first markings of joy? When it starts breaking through in unexpected places. You see see beauty in creation, the grandness of God's design. Longing starts to bubble within you when you see relationships in those around you. It might be bells ringing, songs of truth at church. It might be the small thing of sitting on the couch and watching the lights on the Christmas tree that pierce you. See, that is joy. I remember talking to one friend who had grown up the church his whole life. And then something started to change in his life, and he went to a church, and he could not make it through the liturgy without weeping every Sunday. The liturgy! Things that you say, that sounds so boring. It's these calls and responses. It's these readings. How boring can your church be? But you see, when joy starts breaking through, when you hear Abby read Matthew chapter 3, and you hear John the Baptist speaking, it just makes you want to weep. Something so mundane You might say, but now you see the power in God's word. Let's go on. Verses 10 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. This is a Christmas party. There's food, there's wine, there's dancing. Old guys are happy. The priests are living it up. See, it's not like Judah didn't have this before they went into exile. They had wine, they had food, they had these things. But now something has changed. Now they are satisfied with the goodness of the Lord. They are rejoicing in their ransom, in their redemption. Those loaded Christian words we hear a lot. The idea that God has rescued them and paid for them. He has saved them. Now the things of creation that might have been stale and mundane, the things that they did not care about, now there is joy in it. it just I encourage you, read the Psalms. And the joy that it comes from God's creation. There's joy with wine. There's joy with children. There's joy with the flocks. There's joys with perfume. I can think of many times that we think children and wine and perfume and work is not joyful. But you see these people have been transformed and changed and they rejoice in what has come. The reason they rejoice is because they now see that all these things that have come their way is, are attached from the source of joy. Lewis again. Sorry, I go through Surprised by Joy. If I'm going to talk about joy, I should talk about Lewis in this book. Here is a quote from Surprised by Joy Don't you know, know the disappointment when you expected joy from a piece of music? and get only pleasure? It's like finding Leah when you thought you married Rachel. See, it must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and pleasure. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted joy would ever, if both were in his power, joy and pleasure, would exchange joy for all the pleasures in the world. But then again, joy is never in our power, and pleasure often is. I begged my parents to go to this camp in southern Missouri. They had ski boats, they had the blob. You ever seen the blob before where you jump on the thing and it throws you off and I mean they had all these cool things all these awesome activities But something started to happen when I started going to this Christian camp that it wasn't the blob that I enjoyed or being the first in line to ski or winning awards in fact, I started to like it for just the serving others, the singing, the enjoying friendships. I cared less about being first in line and making sure I experienced all the activities. And then I started to notice those who had all the opportunities and, and fought to be first in line and did all these things and shoved them all in that didn't guarantee they would have a good time at camp. You see, something was happening in me. That was joy. See, here's the problem with us people. We try to recreate the camp experience. Or that experience we had in joy. We try to manufacture it, but we can't. Oh, I'll recreate the perfect Christmas. I'll recreate a work environment that I really loved in my work environment now. Oh, I will find a church that will be just like the church I experienced before that was so good. See, we're not trying to create joy when we do that. We're simply trying to recreate pleasure. See, the sign of joy is finding beauty and enjoyment out of things that we think are stale. No matter what situation we're in, we see the beauty in it. Wine has new flavor in it, being with my kids brings me new enjoyment. That pencil sharpener at work, I can just rejoice in it. (laughs) Oh, how we put burdens on Christmas, don't we? To give us joy. How we put burdens on our loved ones to give us joy. How we put the burden on a cocktail drink to bring us joy when none of those were the source of joy to begin with. Verse 15, 17. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. And your children shall come back to their own country. Finally, here we have a direct connection the Advent story. Rama is where they most likely say Rachel's tomb is located. Rachel, the mother of Jacob, the, the wife of Jacob, the mother of the tribes, died after the birth of her son Benjamin. Rachel is a symbol of the tribes of Israel. And you see that Jeremiah is saying the weeping of Rachel is the sign of the death of the many children of Judah by the Babylonians. We see a direct quote of verse 15 in Matthew chapter 2 and it says here is the fulfillment of what Jeremiah is talking about. And what is the fulfillment? The fulfillment is this, that the boys in Bethlehem were killed by King Herod. Fascinating that a story and Advent and talking about the birth of Christ, the time of joy, is really a time in Israel's history where there's lots of weeping. And Matthew says, look in hope. Look in hope to the king that will come. Jeremiah says the same through the Lord. He says, look in hope, children of Rachel, you will return. You see, the mark of joy is that sorrow will be transformed. Even our deepest sorrows can be transformed into joy. Yeah, the movie "Inside Out," right? I mean, it's the personification of these different emotions, and one of the characters in this girl's brain is, is named Joy. And joys concept of joy really isn't joy but it's pleasure. She says, I'm just going to keep away from all things that are hard and difficult. I'll just keep away from the other character's sadness. And that will bring us joy in this girl's life. Well, it's a false tension. And we see that at the end of the movie where, you know, sadness takes those memories of joy and we see a breaking through. And joy for the first time sees that the moments of joy in this girl's life were so joyful because out of the sadness there was hope. Out of the hard times flooded in unconditional love. That when sadness Was embraced by joy, the moments became so much richer and deeper. William Wordsworth, who's the author of the poem Surprised by Joy, where Lewis gets the title for his book, writes his poem after the death of his daughter. And he says he's surprised by joy because he has been overcome by such grief that when actually some joyful thing comes into his life, he's surprised by it. But then he goes on the poem and says, Now I want to share this joy with my daughter, but she is not there. So it, just, it brings me into further sadness and further despair. The poem is not an uplifting poem. <laughs> but I saw this week a comparison of the loss of the daughter of William Wordsworth and someone that let sorrow not consume them, but see that joy could overcome it. John Meachin's shared this story. He's a historian and biographer. And it was at George Bush's funeral this week. That he would end with this is very intriguing. He said, one thing that people don't realize that marked George Bush's life is the death of his daughter. Robin, at age three. And he tells a story that 35 years later, after her death from leukemia, a boy in Poland who was also battling with leukemia asked to see Vice President Bush. At that time, he was the vice president. And so the vice president went to visit this boy. And in realizing this boy had the same thing that had killed his daughter, Bush wrote this in his diary that evening. My eyes were flooded with tears. And behind me was a bank of television cameras. And I thought, I can't turn around. I can't dissolve because of personal tragedy in the face of nurses that give themselves every day. So I stood there looking at this little guy. Tears running down my cheek. Hoping he wouldn't see. But if he did. Hoping he'd feel that I loved him. You know, that story, it just just wells up in emotion. I mean, Meechian's doing a good job of rhetoric, of bringing emotion at a funeral. But it's so touching because it speaks of a greater narrative. It tells of a father that's mentioned here in these verses, of a father who in our our own sorrow embraces us with love and cares for us because he too knows the loss of a son. So they, they would know that I love them. That through my embrace and through their tears, through my weeping with them, they would know that I love them. I mean, did not Paul say this in jail? As sorrowful as I am, yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. You see, the love of God the Father who knows our pain by the loss of his own son on the cross, it might take our sorrow and he will embrace us so that we would see true joy. Okay, I'm way the plane here. Last verses. Verses 21 through 22. Set up road markers for yourself. Make yourself guideposts. Consider well the highway, the road by which you went. Return, O virgin Israel. Return to these, your cities. O how long will you waver, O faithless daughter? You see here is telling the story of of Judah and Israel coming back into the land. And you see that God is saying, create guideposts of faithfulness as people come back to know that Jerusalem is ahead. There is hope ahead. And even in this, they are still faithless. But God still says, even in your unfaithfulness, I will still call you virgin Israel. Set up those guideposts so that they will see the joy in the hope to come. So they will not waver. You know, the book Surprised by Joy, it really is just a, a testimony by C.S. Lewis from his journey from atheism to theism and then to coming to faith. And really, the book is about how God broke into his life through all of his life to show him joy. And at the end of the book, he says this you know, joy, they are like signposts in the woods. You're lost with your friends, right? And you see a sign to get you out of this lost state. And your friends all gather around and they hug the sign, right? They love the sign. Finally, a way out. But Lewis says the celebration isn't the sign. That's not what you're celebrating. You're celebrating what the sign points to. He talks about this passage in Jeremiah. He says, But we will not stop and stare talking to Christians, or not much, not on this road, though their pillars are of silver and their lettering of gold, these signs. Would we be at Jerusalem? See, the signs of joy in our life, They are great markings, but these markings point to something new. Look with me, verse 22, the latter part. For the Lord has created a new thing on the earth. A woman encircles a man. This is very perplexing. A woman encircling a man. The Hebrew word is, the word for man there is a strong man. Many people argue that the new thing is the idea that women or a woman is protecting the man. How crazy that is. That is the new thing that is happening to Judah. Many commentators and historians have argued about this verse. What is it talking about? A woman encircling a man. Could it be that there would be a woman that would surround the Son of God? That the Son of God would be born of a virgin? That this new thing would be God dwelling among us, Emmanuel? That the signposts of joy in our lives point towards the greatest joy. The greatest joy that God has come and rescued us, that he's lived a perfect life, that he has died on the cross and rose from the dead, and that we, if we are united with him, we will be with him in joy forever. Well, maybe I've been broken through to some of you. Maybe for some of you, the idea of joy in your life has been long gone. I don't even remember what that means anymore. I can't find joy in my life and Christmas time does not help me at all. That I would find joy in unexpected places. That I would find joy that it would make stale things beautiful again. That I would find joy in sorrow. That I would find that joy points to something greater. That's hard for me to see. I will admit as your pastor, sometimes joy is hard for me to see. Well, this week... I found joy in an unexpected place my mailbox I find it found it in something that I find very stale over time christmas cards everyone showing their smiling families put together on a postcard look at us we're organized enough to send this out and I'm not and I found sorrow turned into joy I got this friend this card from my good friend and it's his first christmas card without his wife and his three boys his wife left him and it's been a very hard few years and this is what he wrote on the back of the card May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15:13. Something unexpected. Something that I think is stale. Something that he took his sorrow and he saw that from this, God will make all things new. Will you embrace joy? Will you see the God of unconditional love break through into you? that you might live a life marked by joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is many times hard to find joy, to find joy in a broken world, but you have shown us a way forward. Lord, I pray that you might restore the joy of salvation to people here this morning. That they would be a people marked by joy. We would be a church marked by joy. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.